I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hey guys, this is episode 13 of Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. <laughs> and it's Saturday. We're not recording on our normal um, our normal day of the week. Yeah, which you know what that means for me, Rachel, right? No, what does it mean? More than just one cocktail. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, you have a point. I have actually had two beers already today. So the fact that you drink beers is beyond weird to me, but that's Um You know what? It's one of those like setting not you're my... in the place. Correct. Yeah. It's not my favorite. We were at breweries. I can't exactly ask for cocktail at a brewery so yeah I usually go for ciders at breweries but yeah um, yeah they're really good usually and I have had a couple like really fruity beers at um, one in Rancho that loved it really mm-hmm. I didn't know Rancho had a brewery yeah I think they have a couple as well um, it's actually pretty close to the dance studio very cool mm-hmm. did not know but yeah so I have a couple beers in me already and then I have this clear cocktail that you and I will be drinking shortly so I'm I'm excited yeah um I'm also happy to report to our listeners that today's episode has nothing to do with blood and guts as you may have become accustomed to in the last couple of episodes that we did oh my gosh good but it is as always a super controversial topic So I'm going to start this episode with a little question for you, Leah. Do you recall what the United States was going through in the early to mid-1940s that may or may not have involved a man by the name of Adolf Hitler? Hmm. (laughs) No, uh, World War II. Excellent. A plus. (laughs) Thank you. That's the breadth (laughs) of my knowledge for World War II. No, I'm joking. I, I actually am... If if I had to pick one subject to study a lot of, I think it would be World War II. I do yeah. really enjoy it. And I like a lot of nonfiction based in World War II for some reason. Yeah. Don't ask me why. I, no, I, I do too. Um, you guys know I'm a major U.S. history nerd and World War II is one of my favorite things to study as well. Mm-hmm. So as Leah said, we were involved in World War II during this time period, which just a quick history lesson for all of our listeners, World War II was a huge global war that resulted in the deaths of approximately 70 million people, many of which were civilians. Those weren't even um, just the soldiers. This is the war that began when Hitler invaded Poland in his first attempt to conquer the world, resulting eventually in Great Britain, the Soviet Union, and later the United States joining forces against Hitler's German army, Japan, and Italy for a time there. This is the war that included the attack on Pearl Harbor, which um, us Americans are very familiar with. And it eventually ended with the devastating atomic bombs that the United States dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
And as a quick reminder, this is also the war that saw the rise of the Nazi party, the horrific Holocaust that killed approximately 6 million Jews and so much more. Okay, so with that little reminder, I don't think there needs to be much more of a reminder that the Nazis were bad. Yes? Correct. Nazism is, and I use the present tense here because it is very sadly still a real thing today. Um, In the post-World War II world, it is known as neo-Nazism. Anyway, it's the belief that there is one dominant race, the Aryan race, And it is set on ridding the world of any and every other kind of race that is not considered pure Aryan blood. We saw in World War II that this mission was carried through totalitarian military movements, genocide, encampments, and more. But okay, I have driven home the point that Nazis are bad. And of anyone and everyone that should know this, it would be Americans, especially in the mid-1900s. So why, between the years of 1945 and 1959, would the U.S. government pay for nearly 2,000 Germans, some of which had been leaders in the Nazi party, to come to the United States to work on some of our most top-secret projects? This is the story we're diving into today, but first, Leah, we are ready for this week's cocktail segment. my favorite part (laughs) um so this week since our topic is of germanic descent i thought i'd focus on a drink with similar origins kind of awesome yes so i happen to have acquired recently some cherry schnapps in my um cocktail arsenal since my parents just got back from a rhine river cruise because they're fancy as f um that is awesome (laughs) and perfect timing right yes and i thought um it would be the perfect setting to put it to use because otherwise like i'd just be drinking cherry schnapps by myself alone well thanks for including me i hope we enjoy it and it's not gross (laughs) so do i (laughs) so this is called the sour cherry fizz um it contains one and a half ounces of cherry schnapps one ounce of sour mix lemon lime soda and then generally it's served in a tall glass but um, which I have yeah I yeah, do too perfect. I filled up a pretty tall glass good okay so while we suck it down well actually yeah let's give it a taste first okay okay cheers cheers delicious mm-hmm. delicious doesn't taste like alcohol at all that can knock it's, you out um, it doesn't taste like it at all. It smells like it. I got nervous when it came to my nose. Like, as I was lifting it up, I was like, ooh, this smells strong. Yeah, but it is delightful. Also, quick little side story. Um, so, Leah is amazing. She put together, like, all the ingredients for this cocktail. Literally, the only thing I was responsible for was getting some kind of lemon-lime soda. <laughs> Um, up until about 15 minutes ago, I still didn't have lemon lime soda. Oh my gosh. And so Alex and I, we were doing a late lunch today, um, after some stuff that we were doing this morning and there was a round table right next door to the place we were getting lunch. So I literally went into round table and, um, just filled up a whole take home cup of Sprite. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) 
that's one way to do it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead and tell us about this because I'm going to just sip away. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so schnapps with one P is used to describe any strong distilled spirit, particularly those of at least 32% um, alcohol or 64 proof. The word also comes um, with a loose translation of, quote, snap, referring mm. to the strength of the spirits, because 64 proof, I don't know, I don't even think it's legal to buy that high of alcohol, at least not here in California. Mm-hmm. I think you can in Nevada. Um, but yeah, it is very, very high alcohol content in this. So um, also American schnapps with two peas. Uh-huh. Um is very different there i'm not going to go into details of it but there is a difference between like germanic schnapps with one p as opposed to um, what most americans call schnapps with two Got it. did not know that yes so while schnapps can technically refer to any liquor it is often used for fruit brandies distilled from fresh fruit juices so these are often called opsler or fruit schnapps Um, Apple, apricot, cherry, which we're drinking, pear, and plum are the most popular flavors, and many distillers grow their own fruit for their schnapps. Um, Schnapps is most popular, as I said, in Germany, where it originated for medical uses. Mm. Um, Austria, Denmark, and Switzerland are also big on the schnapps. European drinkers rarely mix their schnapps into cocktails, so we're breaking the rule. Um, opting instead to enjoy it straight out of the bottle and often before or after a meal. And just speaking of it, um, Nico and I, when we were on our honeymoon, we went to a, um, it wasn't a monastery. What's the male version of a monastery? Oh, shoot. An abbey? Um, Thank you. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yes, it is an abbey. We went to one that actually (laughs) brewed beers and then also made schnapps and we bought ourselves a little like, you know, small small things Uh of schnapps from their gift shop Uh and we went to the hotel and we each just had like one little tiny bottle of schnapps and we got wasted (laughs) so that sounds awesome yeah high alcohol content for sure well then i'm glad we're recording this on a saturday yeah (laughs) i'm about to take a nap after this yeah we'll see how it actually affects us maybe maybe this one i didn't actually look at the alcohol content of this one so i'm not sure but there you go. There you have it. Delicious. Thank mm-hmm. you. Absolutely. I'll okay, be sipping so, this the whole time now. Great. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to jealously look at mine while I'm talking. Okay. So I teased at it in the intro, but there's no way to beat around the bush with this one. So I'm just going to come right out and tell you guys what we are talking about this week. We are talking about Operation Paperclip, which was an operative put on by the United States government to pay nearly 2,000 Germans to come to America to work on top secret projects to advance the United States during the Cold War and the space race, which happened immediately after World War II. Let me address it right up front that there is significant discrepancy in how many Germans were actually brought to America to work under Operation Paperclip, but it is confirmed that it's somewhere between 1,200 and 2,000. So just so you guys know, we also know that there are some discrepancies there. So if you ever do your own research, you may see some um, discrepancies in the numbers. Following Germany's surrender in World War II, 
the United States did a major sweep of Europe to locate any and all scientific advances Germany had made, such as nuclear, atomic, and chemical weapon advances. In fact, there were rumors at this time that Russian scientists had developed mind-reading technologies. And this, yeah, like I said, rumors. (laughs) But... This obviously terrified Americans, so they were determined to find out what other kinds of scientific advances there had been throughout Europe. In her book about Operation Paperclip, author Annie Jacobson, which, by the way, Annie is the expert in all things Operation Paperclip and the reason why we know so much about it today. Um, But anyway, she wrote in her book that it was Only upon doing this sweep of Europe that Americans learned that Hitler had led a major campaign amongst amongst German scientists that led to huge advances such as the development, development of nerve agents. And they were even working on a mass plague weapon, similar to like the bubonic plague that we discussed in season one, episode nine. It was then that the U.S. decided that they needed these weapons for themselves. And sorry to interrupt, but yes. it's like, I, I feel like just on my periphery of what I know, I remember hearing that it's not just like chemical advances either. It's like they, the, the reason the German train system is so well known for being so on time and advanced or whatever uh-huh. is because they developed all these fast trains and yes. all this stuff. So that is... Not that I'm saying there's any positives that came out of World War II, but um, I would say that there were some technological advances that oh, we yeah. definitely benefit from today. Yes, that's true. And that, that leads exactly into where we're going with this episode. Um, it was uh, the other thing, too, it just was a time where Americans were very paranoid. Um, they had seen the dangers uh, that existed because of World War II. They could see the advances that other countries had made, and it put them in this state of paranoia where they had to figure out, okay, what does everyone know and how can we acquire this? We're told that Operation Paperclip did not begin as an operation to bring Nazi scientists to the United States to work for us, but rather history tells us that this all began with the Ossenberg List. It's in 1943 that Hitler shifted his focus and began exerting more of his efforts on the scientific research front rather than that of the physical physical combat front of the World War. Hitler put scientist Werner Ossenberg in charge of putting together a list of the Third Reich's top scientists. From this list, men would be pulled from the battlefield to work on a different kind of battlefield instead a scientific battlefield. This list that Ossenberg put together was later found in March of 1945. It was all ripped up in pieces and it was found by a Polish laboratory technician stuffed into a toilet at Bonn University in Germany. Hmm. Yeah, U.S. intelligence agents used this list initially to conduct interviews of the German scientist But it was from these interviews that the U.S. government decided that they would instead begin recruiting these scientists for American efforts. Werner von Braun was at the top of this list of scientists. And keep that name in mind because he's going to become very important very soon. Leah, how much do you know about President Harry S. Truman? Almost none. 
that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. Truman actually achieved a significant amount of accomplishments as the 33rd president of the United States. But the main things that I personally always remember about him are that he served as Franklin Roosevelt's vice president. Mm -hmm. And it was when Roosevelt passed away on April 12th, 1945, which is my birthday, guys. Not the the 1945 part, but the April 12th part. Um, And so that's when he became president. And the other thing I always remember about Truman is that he um, officially ended World War II with his decision to drop the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Mm. leading to the deaths of at least 129,000 people. Something else now, after listening to this episode, to remember about Truman was his involvement with Operation Paperclip. Initially, Truman was not a fan. In fact, it took him almost a year and a half to make up his mind about this program. He was obviously concerned about how bringing Nazi scientists on the U.S. government's payroll was going to look to the American public. But he ended up determining that this program was a must. If the Americans did not recruit German experts, the Russians would. It is noted, though, that Truman demanded that the Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency, which was created at this time to manage the operation, not recruit any Germans that had once been Nazi members nor were Nazi sympathizers. The Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency, nor the CIA, would abide by these directives, though. In fact, there were instances in which these agencies erased the war crime records of many of the German scientists as a means of ensuring their recruitment and taking advantage of their scientific knowledge. Yikes. Yeah. Now, in order to keep Operation Paperclip a secret, the Combined Intelligence Objectives Subcommittee was also created. This committee was so intent upon maintaining the secrecy of the program, obviously not only because the scientists were working on top secret projects, but also because, of course, many of the scientists themselves had been former Nazis. Anyway, the Combined Intelligence Objective Subcommittee, holy cow, guys, (laughs) long, long sentences here. Mm-hmm. This subcommittee was so good at keeping Operation Paperclip a secret that there were even agents of the Justice Department's Office of Special Investigations, the people that were quite literally in charge of tracking down Nazis to punish them for their war crimes, that they didn't even know that they had Nazis here in the United States working for their government. Ooh, all this just makes me like, ugh. Yep. Yep. Squeamish. Yes. So while there were so many scientists that have fascinating stories, there's just one that I really want to dive into. I mentioned him earlier. His name was Werner von Braun, and there is a lot to say about him. Leah, I've uploaded a picture for you to look at. It's a picture of Mr. Von Braun himself for you to view. Now, keep in mind, um, this picture It was taken in 1960. So this was about, I don't know, he'd been in the United States for about 15 years at this point. Yeah. So um, he is a pretty handsome man. He, I I know this sounds super, I don't know, wrong to say, but he doesn't look German. Really? No. Do you think he does? He looks very American, like 1960s (laughs) American. Give me a, a... shot of whiskey. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think because I know what his name is and I know his story and stuff. I think he looks German, but I also agree. I think he's very handsome. Yeah, totally handsome. Yeah. 
So let's talk about Von Braun's German career first. He was issued membership into the Nazi party in 1937 and later ended up becoming a colonel in the SS. It was Von Braun's team that ended up developing the V-2 rocket, which in 1944 first flew over London, dropping explosives that ended up killing three people and injuring another 22. For another six months, these rockets that Von Braun developed, they flew over various parts of Europe, killing thousands in the process. Something that is very little known um, about the V-2 rockets is that some prisoners kept at concentration camps during the World War were actually forced to work as slave laborers on the V-2 rocket project when they ran out of other laborers. This was a super dangerous job, as I'm sure you can imagine, leading to the deaths of approximately 60,000 slave laborers, whether that be as a result of the job itself or even from the abuse and public hangings. Yes, they were also treated horribly, with many people stating that they actually witnessed Von Braun being one of those people that horribly mistreated the slave laborers. As the war came closer to an end, Von Braun surrendered to the Americans and was shortly thereafter actually transferred to the United States along with a team of scientists and their families to begin working for the American cause under Operation Paperclip. His American career and the advances he made for the United States space race campaign cannot be ignored. To sum it up, he ended up becoming the director of the NASA Marshall Space Flight Center and was directly responsible for the development of the Saturn V launch vehicle, along with 120 other German scientists, which was the project that eventually led to the Apollo missions in which Americans landed on the moon for the very first time. To show you just how important Von Braun became in the United States, what I want to do, Leah, I've uploaded a couple more pictures of Von Braun, and I want to see if you can identify who else is in the pictures with him. Oh, gosh. If you don't know that's all of them, that's perfectly okay, but I feel fairly confident you're going to be able to get probably two out of the three. All right, first one, Walt Disney. You got it, yes. Von Braun and Walt Disney actually worked on a couple of different projects together because um, Von Braun also was responsible for creating space camps for kids, and so Walt Disney was really um, involved in those educational efforts for children to learn more about space. Mm, That doesn't make me happy. I mean, space camp's awesome, but... I know. Okay, number two... No clue. I'm guessing, I think the guy in the middle might be a president or something. You got it. You got this. Yeah. That's that's Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And number three, Kennedy. See, you got two out of three. I mean, two and a half out of three, really. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. That was two and a half out of three. That was great. Yeah, so obviously you can tell Von Braun, um, super important in American history, as was he important for German history and unfortunately for the Nazi cause. Now it didn't take long for the American public to find out about this operation and to learn that they had former Nazis working on a U.S. government salary. In fact, one particular scientist that was brought over as a result of Operation Paperclip, his name was Georg Ricke. He was actually later tried for his war crimes 
although he would later be acquitted. There was also another Nazi scientist, Walter Schreiber, who was later determined to be involved in human experiments back in Germany before being brought here for Operation Paperclip. I think I actually, that name sounds familiar and especially associated with the human experiments. I feel like I I did know about that one. Yeah, I think I I had heard about him before doing research for this episode as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Did not realize he was one of the scientists that was paid to come here yeah, on a crazy. U.S. government salary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These investigations led to a handful of German scientists uh, retiring from the U.S. government, with many of them migrating back to Europe to avoid American persecution. I think it's really major to point out that at the same time that these investigations were being conducted here by the American public and journalists, the Nuremberg trials were also being conducted in Germany. Which, for anyone that needs the reminder, the Nuremberg Trials was, that's the formal trial of over 20 Nazi leaders in which they were tried for their war crimes. The Nuremberg Trial resulted in the execution of 12 Nazis. So I just think it's really interesting to consider what was going on on American soil at the same time that former Nazis were being tried for their war crimes back in Germany. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, or perhaps this entire time, you've been wondering how in the world Operation Paperclip got its name. Yes. Yeah, it's actually really, really super simple. Um, The U.S. government had paper folders with the various German scientists they had learned about following World War II in them, and they simply slid a paperclip onto the folders for those scientists that they wanted to bring over to America. Oh my gosh, that is not a good system. No. Well, no, because have you ever like you stack files with paper clips on them and all the paper clips get like connected to each other oh, all or the connected time to the wrong document. So there they may have even accidentally put a paper clip on the wrong <laughs> document. That was dumb. That would be kind of not funny. This is not funny, but also kind of funny. Like, oh, shit, that's not the guy we want. <laughs> Who, who did the paper clips this time? Yeah. <laughs> Janet. Come on, Janet. It was Janet again. Oh, my God. Um, one other thing, you guys, before we finish up this episode, I do want to give a shout out to a friend of ours. One of the coolest things about doing this podcast has been meeting other history nerds from all over the world. Leon, who runs the history.info page on Instagram, has become one of those friends. When we chose to do this episode about Operation Paperclip, we wanted to make sure we got all the details right, and so we reached out to Leon to do some fact-checking, since Leon actually lives in Germany. So thank you so much to Leon. We so appreciate your time in looking over this episode, and we so appreciate all of your support of the podcast. Everyone listening, make sure you go follow Leon's Instagram page. It is called history.infor. So it's the word history followed by a period. And then the word infor, like information, but stop after the R. It's a really great history page that highlights various people throughout history with beautiful pictures and lots of really neat, insightful information. So go check it out. And thanks again, Leon. Yeah, thank you, Leon. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, very cool. And with that, you guys, I mean, that's all I have about this episode. Short but sweet. I like it. 
Yeah, it's just something um, to start thinking about. It's one of those crazy things in history that I don't think many people know about. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of information because a lot of these um, discoveries didn't come out until recent decades. Um, but it's just something to to think about. Yeah, seriously. Crazy stuff. Oh, always corruption. Always <laughs> corruption. Yeah, we will never run out of episodes. No. <laughs> never. No. In fact, that list of future episodes just continues to grow. Yep, it sure does. Yeah. So well, thanks, with- Rachel. That was yeah. that was insightful and lovely. I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of Hashtag History. Um, Due to popular demand, we are actually headed to ancient Rome for next week's episode. So get ready for that. Yeah, I love Roman history or Grecian history as well. Love it. And you're going to super love next week's episode. It's bonkers. Yeah. (laughs) We will have a link to our website in the show notes so you can see all the photos that Leah described. We will also be posting the pictures to our Instagram. The link to our website is also where you can see all of the sources we use to put together our episodes. If you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use, share it with a friend, and give us a rate and review. And be sure, as always, to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. I almost got that wrong again this time, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) You sounded super smooth. Oh, did I? Yeah. No, it sounded great. All right. Perfect. Thanks, Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye.